0: The following message is from Ridgewood Church in Greer, South Carolina. For more information, visit RidgewoodGreer.com. All right, I'm going to put up a series of photos. Jonathan's going to help me. All of these are ones that Casey or I have taken. Maybe one was taken by her brother. Um, But I would love, kids, for you to tell me what you see in these photos what is that what is this first photo i heard somebody say cheetah that's exactly right a cheetah exactly all right so we have a we have a cheetah all right what are those flowers that's exactly right all right let's take a look at our next one what's that an elephant. This is the only one I think I took of of these photos. It's probably my best photo I've ever taken. Um, Not to humble brag. I also took this one. This is a great one. What is that? Syrup. That's exactly right. From Lowe's. I think I was comparing prices or something like that. Who knows what I was doing? Um, But this is a nice picture of syrup art. What's this? Ostrich. That's exactly right. I think it's a female ostrich because it's Brown, not black and pink. Uh, that's exactly right. All right, what else we got? What's, what's up next? A tree, green. We don't know exactly. This is actually a tea field, a beautiful tea field. This is about 20, 30 minutes from where Casey and I used to live in, in Kenya. Just rolling green tea fields, absolutely beautiful. All right, what's our next photo, Jonathan? That's Audrey, but what else is, what else is Audrey around? The beach, what else do we see kind of in the way distant background? Sunset, Sunset. that's exactly right. The sunset, the sand, a beautiful little girl, that's exactly right. All right, what's our next one? What do we see in this one? Snow, that's exactly right. This This is our classic family photo. We're super excited to be in the snow. I think this was like a year and a half ago or two years ago. Uh, we're happy to be in the snow. All right, Jonathan, what's our next one? If you can see Audrey's face, this is more of the classic family photo. She did not like the snow. I think I put her down in it once, wanted nothing to do with it. But yes, exactly. So there's snow. So all kinds of things that I have just shown you in those photos, what do all of those have in common? Cheetahs, flowers, syrup. The beach, the sunset. Kids, what do they have in common? God, how do they have God in common? God made it. That's exactly right, Judah. Thank you so much. There's one creator of all of those things. I don't know about that Lowe's syrup, but maybe just assume I put up like pure maple syrup that you got out of a tree that Zach would be you know happy with. Um, one creator... And this one creator is God. So, our question this morning is, What is God? What is God? And our answer is, God is the creator of everyone and everything. I want you guys to say that with me. What is God? God is the creator. Everyone and everything. Beautiful. That is exactly right. Now, we are asking, what is God, instead of who is God, because in many ways, what asks a more foundational question. It is looking from our foundational aspects of the being of God. If you were to ask, who is Aaron? Tell me about him. What does he love, not love? You, would, you might say he's a pastor, he's a dad, he's a husband, he's a soccer fan, he's not a fan of dogs, Uh, He has a little bit of smaller ears, you know, something like that, you might say. But if you ask, what is Aaron, it's getting at more foundational aspects of who I am. a, A created human being, sinful to my very core, in desperate need of a savior, an image bearer of God. What is Aaron is a very different question than who is Aaron. So the same goes for who is God or, what is God? When you hear the word God, what comes to mind? It could literally be so many different things. You could think of the heavens when you hear the word God. You look up and you think about the man upstairs. I watched a, um, I was sick this week, so I watched a bunch of documentaries that I'd been wanting to watch. Watch one on the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa 1998 baseball home run aspect. Mark McGuire said, the man upstairs put me on this earth to hit home runs, and that's how we can think about God. He's just the man upstairs, and he just puts us on this earth, gives us some skills, and we do what we want to do with it. He gives us steroids, yeah, and puts us, yeah, steroids didn't help, you know, hit home runs. We can think about of a church building that we grew up in. That, that's what we think about when we say God. We can think of our earthly father and how that directly affects what we believe about God. We can think God is a a genie in a bottle. I used to pray, pray, pray Little League games. I was eight years old. It's like bottom of the sixth. We're wanting to so badly win. God, if you just let us win this game, I won't ask anything else. Just be our little genie in the bottle for this one game. I googled this question. When you hear the word God, what comes to mind? One of the top answers was Loki. I I don't know why that would have been a thing. Maybe you think about Loki when you hear God. I don't know. How do we define God? What is God? That is what we are trying to get after. Merriam-Webster has kind of three big definitions and a couple smaller underneath it. The first definition is the supreme or ultimate reality, such as, and then it was letter A, the being perfect in power, wisdom, and goodness who is worshiped as creator and ruler of the universe. But then big parentheses. It's very important, as in Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and Hinduism. It's very interesting. A lot of what it says there is pretty accurate of being in perfect in power, wisdom, and goodness. But then it's kind of putting all of these religions together. The letter B, Christian science, the incorporeal divine principle ruling over all as eternal spirit, infinite mind. I don't know what that means, but it means something. The second definition Merriam-Webster had, a being or object that is worshipped as having more than natural attributes or powers. So anything that's more than just natural could be seen as God. And then the third one is just a person or thing of supreme value. Mark McGuire can hit really home runs. He's almost a god to many people. We, we see certain people and we almost label them as a god because they have more than natural attributes. Now this is how Merriam-Webster defines it. Our goal this morning is to get at how do we define it? How do we want to, to clarify what is God? Two people can say they believe in God. I believe in God. You can say you believe in God. And we can mean very different things. Defining our words matters. We have to determine what God is, what we make, and what we believe him to be. Many will say that we should just discover who we want God to be, but that is relativism, that is subjective, that is not true. No, in God's grace, he has given us his word so that we can know him. We do not define God on our own terms. We define and talk about him on his terms because he is supreme. Essentially, God defines what God is. Not us. We often define and think about God on our own terms and use our own feelings and emotions, etc. We, use, we talk about being true to yourself. Be who you want to be. Think about who you almost want God to be. We'll do the same with God. We'll make him out to be the God that we think is most authentic. I was sick this past week, ever since Sunday night. I was the sickest I've probably ever been as an adult. You can probably still hear a little bit of it in me. So what did I do this week? Watch documentaries, but I also watched Princess Bride. I was trying to find a movie. I was like, I kind of want to fall asleep, but I don't want to, so I kind of want a movie I can fall asleep to, but I also want to be entertained. So I watched Princess Bride, which is actually very ironic because the grandpa's reading to the sick son, so it was actually just a great movie for me to enjoy by myself, After watching, I ended up looking up the main guy who plays the main character, Wesley. I don't know any um, celebrities. If you ask me the name of a celebrity or you tell me the name of a celebrity, I'm literally going to have no idea who you're talking about unless it's maybe a very famous sports player. You guys probably know this guy, Carrie Elwes. I don't know if that's how you say his name. Um, I know he plays Despero in Psych. Uh, He's a great character in, in Psych. But I went on his Twitter account. And he only had a couple of tweets from the last few weeks. And then three weeks ago today, on Easter Sunday, he tweeted this. There'll there'll be a picture on the screen. Um, All right, does anybody know what that first, any kid in here know what that first language is? That very top, there's three languages here. Anyone know what that top one is? Arabic. Arabic, that's exactly right. The second one? English, we all know that one. What's the third one? Lots of opinions. I think, I think I heard Hebrew. Hebrew would be correct. So you're actually going to read right to left in Hebrew, so three ways. Each of them are just saying God is love. God is love in Arabic. God is love in English. God is love in Hebrew. And then Jonathan's going to put up this guy's tweet. Easter, Ramadan, and Passover are all being celebrated at the same time this year. This event happens only three times a century. A reminder that God is love and love means peace, wishing peace and love to all. He then put at the end of his tweet a bunch of symbols of different religions, kind of like the coexist bumper sticker that has all the all the different religions symbolized now, in some ways he 's right. God is love. we can proclaim that we t- 're going to teach it first John, we did it back at Christmas, but he is implying. That the God that the God that the Jews profess, the God that the Muslims profess, and the gods that Christians profess are all just one God, and he's doing this in the name of tolerance and inclusivity. And so I was thinking about as I was reading this, I was going back to the Princess Bride, thinking about Inego Montoya telling Vizini when Vizini keeps using the word "inconceivable." You keep using that word. And I don't think it means what you think it means. When you're saying God is love, I don't think that means exactly what you think it means. We need to be clear on how we define it. And it's interesting because Elwes is actually extremely offensive to all three religions. He's not just speaking, if he's speaking to people who are not just nominal Jews, nominal Muslims, nominal Christians, but ones who actually hold to the orthodoxy of that religion... Each of those three are going to say, no, I do not believe in the God that the Muslims profess. I do not believe in the God that just the Jews profess. There is one God, and the one God is love. But when Muslims call on Allah, or Jews call on Yahweh, or Jehovah's Witnesses call on Jehovah, or Mormons call on God, while we may use those same words, and obviously we as Christians come out of Judaism... But when we use those words, the one God is not any of those. We mean vastly different things when we say God. When we say God, we are saying the one God is the God of the Bible. We want to be abundantly clear with our terms. So let's look at how God speaks of himself in Psalm 86 this morning. I'm going to read the passage Josh has been teaching us on Sunday night. It's important to read the context, and then we're just going to focus in on a few verses. Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord... For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. We're going to focus in on verses 8 through 10 and and then a few other verses Around it. Verse 8 emphasizes that no one is like the Lord. Many things will claim to be gods. Many religions will claim to worship some God, but none of it will be true. The one true God of the Bible is totally other. Our main point for verse 8 is that God is unique. God is unique. And we're going to learn more about that in our next catechism question. It's going to be about the Trinity. We're going to emphasize as Christians what makes God unique is that he is triune. We worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which makes us totally different than uh, Muslims or than Jews, unlike Carrie Eloise was trying to put together. When we think about God being unique We may often think that you and I are unique. I'm a unique guy. I like this. I participate in that. You guys probably all think you have unique interests or or different kinds of things. But really, in many ways, we are not very unique. All of us are driven by the culture around us. We become like the people we're around. We're discipled and raised up by our, our parents. As we get older, we become more like our parents both to our chagrin, but then also as we get older, we become more and more grateful for them. We see the the goodness and everything they did for us. That is very different. We are very different in how we think about that we are unique compared to one another versus God being unique. God is totally unique. God is totally other. There is no one like God. The Bible makes clear that no one does works like God. There's only one true God. There is no one like him. Verse 9, we've been learning in Acts all about the nations, all about the Gentiles. Kids, can you say nations? Nations. Can you say Gentiles? Gentiles. Whenever we read the word nations in the Old Testament, we can think of Gentiles. And when we've been reading in Acts, we've been seeing the word Gentiles come up, or the words nations. God is out for the nations. Who made the nations? Who had a plan for the nations? This one unique, true God. God made all the nations. God made all that exist. He is including them In his people. Just like he made the flowers and he made the sunset and he made the cheetahs, he made the nations, he made the people, he made all of us individually. The nations are going to come worship and glorify the Lord. So, verse 9, our main point God alone is worthy to be worshiped. And then, verse 10, our main point there. Is that God is great? God is great. Did anyone say that prayer growing up at, at mealtime, or maybe you still do? It's totally awesome. You know, God is great, God is good. I just encourage you to think about it and ponder on it more than I used to do when I used to say that prayer. That was my prayer growing up over our meal. I'm gonna put up on the screen how I prayed it. God is great. Goddess, good. So maybe a little bit of heresy, maybe a little bit of the Panera green goddess salad is starting to come in. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. This is how how I prayed. This is how it sounded to me. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. I could get the end, but still I was thinking, you know, Panera, goddess green salad. Get me my lettuce and then also give me a piece of bread at the end. I would encourage you, when we think about God is great, or when we think about saying a prayer like that, we really want to think about the, the foundations of what we are saying. God is great. It can be easily watered down, because we say men are great. We say Babe Ruth, or Aaron Judge, or Michael Jordan, or Patrick Mahomes, or Ronaldo, or Messi, or whoever you think is great. But in reality, those guys are not great. They could do something cool with a ball, but that's about it. Did they create the color green? Did they put the sun in the sky? Did they cause the rain that came this morning? Did they create all 8, 9, 10, 12 billion, however many people have lived throughout history? Did they form mountains and oceans and everything in between? Humans are not great. God is great. God is good. A few of us have, have known you know, going to, to preach a sermon back home. I was thinking about my first sermon. Uh, it was summer after my junior year of college. Went back to the, my home church. It was terrible. Um, I, Luke 15, it was, it was so bad. But, you know, Miss Susie's going to come up at the end and say, Aaron, that was such a good sermon. And saying, saying Aaron's first sermon is good is very different than saying God is good. It's a very, very different meaning of the word good. When we say, let us thank him for our food, we're thinking about him being the provider of all. We're fed by his provision. Please, Lord, give us our daily bread. I, I, I love that prayer. I love the root of God is great. He is good. He's the provider of all, emphasizing that there are no other gods beside the one God of the Bible. And again, this just points us back to God is unique. I want to highlight verse 5 and verse 15 of Psalm 86. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon Him. Verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is merciful, God is gracious, God is good, God is forgiving. He is abounding in steadfast love, yes, to all those who call upon him. God has a unique people that he is calling to himself, and those people are going to call upon him. Verse 15, our main point God is faithful. We see in verse 7 in Psalm 86, he is the one that we can call on in times of trouble. God is always faithful. So, our question this morning, what is God? Our shorter answer is God is the creator of everyone and everything. Can you guys say that with me again? What is God? God is the creator. One shortfall of our answer is this seeing God as primarily or first as creator. But God has always been God, well before he was creator. So I think the longer answer is helpful for us to read through. The New City Catechism has both a shorter answer for kids to be able to kind of wrap their minds around and memorize and say very quickly, but it also has a longer answer. And the longer answer is helpful because it gives a lot more to God's character and what makes him God. Jonathan's going to put it on the screen. What is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in His power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through Him and by His will. I love this this longer answer because it provides a, a bigger context to who God is, and even first and foremost in that second uh, sentence, he is eternal and infinite. Creation is not eternal and infinite. It started at a time. God created. God spoke it into being. But before God created, he was still God. He was still triune. He was still united in who he is. And so in many ways, it's going to be good to think about what God is in our next Uh, Catechism question that I think Trevor will do uh, Here in a few months About God's triunity Him being Trinity And I love these other words that are used He's eternal, infinite, and unchangeable In His power and perfection Goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth Nothing happens except through Him And by His will I wanted to put a resource on the screen. Casey, do you, you have it? Sweet, thank you. I meant to bring it with me this morning. Um, it's just called God. It's by big, it's Big Theology for Little Hearts. Um, it's made by a couple out of Southern Seminary. Uh, it's just really helpful. God is, the first one they have is creator, king, trinity, uh, holy, eternal, unchanging, you'll hear a lot of these same words coming out of the New City Kazakhism: just, good, loving, and glory. I would have said glorious, would probably have been a better word there at the end. But, all of that to say, it's a great book to be able to talk about who God is, what is God, Uh, is Big Theology for Little Hearts, this God book. They have, I think, five or six of them. It's a great set. I want to close us with verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 86. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. The whole point of what we are here to do is to learn about God and to love God. To thank Him for all that He has done and to follow Him. And to give all our lives for Him. Kids, we pray, the adults in the room, the pastors, the leaders of the church, all the members, we pray that you will give your lives to following Jesus. We have an incredible opportunity to worship God through communion this morning. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band back up. Back towards the beginning, we were talking about what makes us unique as Christians. Why are we different than Muslims or Jehovah's Witnesses or um, Jews? What makes us different is worshiping the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in communion, we get to remind ourselves of who Jesus is And what he has done on our behalf. We get to celebrate Easter weekend again and again and again as we partake in communion together. And as we partake, I'm going to, here in just a minute, read through our communion liturgy. And then after we do that, uh, you guys, to be able to partake, you're going to go on the outside, on the outside wall, come down. Zach and Trevor will be up here to distribute the elements, and then you can funnel back to your seats through the middle. But parents, as you go, we encourage you to talk with your kids about what you are doing. Explain to them, what, what is the bread? What is the juice? What are we doing here? Why is everybody coming up here? Why is this only for believers in the Lord Jesus? What does this, uh, what does this practice mean, and why do we do it together? As a church, we encourage you to talk about it because ultimately our hope and our joy is rooted in Christ and in Christ alone. So let me pray and then I'll read through our liturgy. Lord, we thank you that we can know you. God, we thank you that your word helps make clear that you are unique, that you are worthy to be worshipped, that you are great, and that you are faithful. And yet, God, we are not, we're not found with your word complete just through Psalm 86. We are reading it through the lens of the New Testament, the hope that we have because of Christ, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus, we thank you for the payment that you gave for us. Lord, help us to worship you. Help us to know you. Help us to give our lives for you. Lord, I pray that these kids would see the beauty of the gospel, that they would see themselves as sinners, as ones who do disobey. Jesus, the teachings that you have given us, man woman and child in here have hearts who have gone astray and yet lord you have washed us clean by the blood of jesus and i pray that that would be our hope and our joy and we thank you for the opportunity to get to celebrate that this morning through the partaking of communion lord we love you amen